It's the wild, wild west in the cannabis industry, but is it a good time to get in as an investment? We'll talk with financial consultant David Rabinowitz on In the Weeds next. Don't look now, but it's a whole new world of weed out there. Pot is flower, it's Bruce Banner and Blue Dream. You've got bongs and dabs, resin and shatter, vaping and edibles, new terms, new strains, and new ways to use cannabis sativa, the plant. Some just made with CBD, and hemp has minimal THC. There's sativa and indica strains, and 100 chemicals, all legal in 10 states for adult use. There's a lot to get to know. Get used to it, folks, because it's legal in the Bay State and it's not going away. Neither is In the Weeds with Jimmy Young next. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called Cannabis Sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. Hi, everyone. Welcome to In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And today we have a very special guest in studio. We'll be talking about the business of cannabis with a consultant by the name of David Rabinovitz. And a reminder, once again, though, that this podcast can be seen on the brand new cannabis multimedia network.com, the weedtube.com. And yes, you can listen to the podcast on clnsmedia.com, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Audio Boom, and Spotify. Let me tell you a little bit about David Rabinovitz. First of all, he's a uh, an old acquaintance, a business acquaintance, if yes. not a friend. He's put in a lot of work with me back in the day when I had Young Broadcasters of America. He advises senior leadership of engineering firms on financial and ownership issues, and he's been doing that since 2010. That's about the time when I met him. Uh, he gives advice to cannabis businesses on matters of strategy, finance, developing a go-to-market plan, some of the more technical sides of the business. No, he does not grow it because he has a black thumb. David, is that an accurate description? That's very accurate, Jimmy, and thank you. It's great to be with you. Yeah, you said you even failed at growing strawberries here. Yeah, that was a disaster last summer. I keep my hibiscus plant going, and I'm very proud. It's almost three years old, and I brought it inside and everything. But I, too, share that black thumb. Um, anyway, he's presently assisting a team to find a loca- uh, loca- location, is the word, secure a host community agreement, and win a license in Massachusetts. He also manages a meet.up.com group for the Massachusetts Cannabis Startups, and we'll talk to you about that in a little bit. He is, oh, it says here he's a whirlwind of activity. Your brain goes at a gazillion miles an hour, about as fast as my mouth goes. So we're good. <laughs> we're dangerous together. Let's just say. And I guess the first question, and it's an obvious one, David. You've been around. You've you had analyzed figures. You were you were taking notes on the weekly totals for gross sales in, in Massachusetts on the retail side. Is cannabis a good investment? That depends, Jimmy. Whether you're going in on the public or the private side of things. Okay, and when you say the public side, are you talking about uh, investing in the stock world? Yes. Okay, and on the private side, uh, what what element of the industry has the best return uh, so far? And again, Massachusetts being so young, this is a this is a uh, a rookie a rookie economy, if you will. Yeah, it, Massachusetts is really a developing market. It is in its infancy. You're you're talking about a market that could have that will likely have 
two to three hundred stores by the time it's built out. Could have as many as five hundred, though that's unlikely. And we've only got nine open right now with a few more in the pipeline and quite a few in the application pipeline. So it's really in, we're in the only the second or third inning right now of where marijuana is That's, in Massachusetts. And, and of course, uh, the, the news in Massachusetts over the past week was an oops by the Alternative Therapies Group out of Salem for a tracking error uh, on the recreational side. And they had to temporarily shut down their recreational side. And again, I'm going to be talking a lot about this in my news dabs program. The media, of course, jumps to the conclusion and throws out headlines like pot shop closes. And that was never accurate because the medicinal side of that business, it was still going on. And um, inaccurate reporting is something I don't really like, let's just say. Um, anyway, that being said, did do you think having... No sales from Alternative Therapies Group over the last, let's just say, three or four days will have any impact on the total sales in Massachusetts, or will it be minimal? It's going to, it'll fade away, Jimmy. It'll fade away. When you look at the overall sales, the market is growing. I think one day, about a week and a half ago, we breached $900,000 of daily revenue, right? That's with nine stores open. That was uh, probably about a week ago Saturday. And that's that's a great number. I mean, that is a really that's a phenomenal number. Right. And it and again, I, I, I maintain that the market, while there's an active market, both on the gray market side and on the adult use side is evolving. Uh, the medical side is here and has been for three years. But there's so many there's going to be so many new users and uh, people who experiment or perhaps go back to it after they did back in the day in college. That do we really know? What? How big this market in Massachusetts is going to become? It's going to be a little over two billion, right? And I'll tell you that with a high degree of confidence. I was going to say you're the numbers guy, right. and you broke it down. And this is where, and it'd be great to hear how you got to that number. Sure. Right. So we've, there's a whole bunch of states that have markets open, mm-hmm. but you have to look at what's going on in those states to get a good feel for really what the market is all about. Some of them are tightly regulated, and some of them aren't really regulated that well. So when you begin to include that in your analysis. You have to find another state that looks a lot like Massachusetts. It looks a lot like us age-wise, political Edu- leanings. Educational. Educationally, yeah. population size, all that. And when you begin to throw all of that into the mix, the one that floats up to the top is Colorado. Colorado is strikingly similar to Massachusetts. If you looked at the age distribution between Massachusetts and Colorado, they're nearly identical. There's a few age brackets that are off by 1% or 2%, but that's about it. You look at education, when it comes to high school diplomas, Colorado leads us. We're right behind them. When it comes to college degrees, undergrad degrees, we're number one in the U.S., Colorado's number two. I think we're separated by maybe six positions when you come into advanced degrees. So you've got two populations that are a lot alike. You've got not the, the income isn't that far off. Cost of living in Colorado is a little bit lower, but when you adjust it, if you can live in Colorado for $65,000 a year, in Massachusetts, you probably need about 69000 a year. But when you look at our median income, and I know I'm getting a little bit technical, but I take real deep dives in these things. Yeah. You know, we probably earn equivalently about 8.5% more than people in Colorado do. So you throw all that in the mix, and you look at where Colorado is, they're finally beginning to level out. They did a little over $1.5 billion in revenue in marijuana sales in 2017 
and they breached $1.54 billion in 2018. So you, they, when you look at those kind of a number, the hockey stick growth is over, yeah, yeah. and now it's leveling off, and you're into a mature market. And that, that equates to probably on a per-head basis somewhere between 269 to $275 a head. Apply that to Massachusetts, right, because we have similar age, similar political leanings. They legalized marijuana for rec use in 2012, and, and it typically happens in a presidential cycle. We legalized it in the next presidential cycle in 2016. Similar education, income isn't that far off. You compare us to Colorado, we're about a $1.85 billion market, and then throw in a little bit more because we've got more dis- slightly more disposable income, and we're going to be about a $2 billion market. You just got to bear in mind that right now in Massachusetts, it's so young, and the supply and demand are not in balance, so we're probably about 40% higher. What cost you $100 in Colorado for product will cost you $140 in Massachusetts right now. There you go. And, and how big of an impact... Has the slow rollout of the recreational licenses by the Cannabis Control Commission affected the gray market, which, of course, is an unmeasured market? And I know you don't have any figures on that, but I'm sure you understand that it's a very vibrant market out there right now. It it is, and it's going to be. But you're going to find more and more people are going to shift over to the legal market. I was at an event at an event yesterday at Babson College, Mm -hmm. and it was centered around marijuana um, uh, a marketing project that the students were working on. And one of the presenters made the comment about having visited one of the pot shops, and uh, this was a presenter, middle age, Mm -hmm. and made the joke to the students, my dealer is my son, right, because that's how this person would typically get their marijuana. Mm -hmm. But now that stores are open, they're migrating to the stores. And I asked a few of the people who had been to stores what they perceived to see in the lines. And they didn't see lots of young kids. They actually, one of them pointed to me and said, there's more people your age than there are of the really young kids. And I think that's what you're going to find. The people with more disposable income don't want to be caught doing something illegal, even though it's not that big of a deal. It's probably a civil infraction. They want to know that they get a quality product. They know that legally it's been tested, and they'd rather go to a store to get it. And the only issue right now is the convenience factor. You and I are sitting in a studio in Wellesley, Massachusetts. There's no rec stores open around here right now, and there won't be for a while. There will be soon. We're going to be sitting on what, you know, if you think about Norwood, Massachusetts, and the auto mile, we're going to have something like the marijuana mile between Framingham and Natick. There's going to be eight stores over a 9.6-mile stretch. You'll go every mile, there'll be another store. So why is that happening? Again, host town agreements have been under scrutiny really since they uh, were introduced. Uh, There's supposed to be a 3% cap on each host agreement for uh, taxing the the product. Um, And yet we we both know that whenever local politics gets involved... Um, rules perhaps get bent a little bit, let's just say, to sweeten those deals. Now, you, I, I understand that you're involved with a group. I don't need to know specifics. But are you finding that hosts of these um, cannabis shops are looking for a little extra something-something in the backside, if you will? So that's a two-part question. Yeah, I usually right. ask long questions. That's all right. The, <laughs> the, 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 the bending of the rules, I wouldn't say it's so much the bending of the rules as much it is, as it is a different way of looking at the interpretation. The Mass Municipal Association interprets the law one way and has advised the Massachusetts municipalities that they're not capped at 3%. 
that they can charge extra fees. There's been so much bad press that some of the municipalities have dialed back and said we're going to 3%, and others now are saying we're just going to take the 3%. I was in a meeting a few days ago with, with um, um, uh, uh, a review board for one of the municipalities, and their question was, are you comfortable with the 3%? And, and the team I'm working with was very comfortable with that. But there were not questions about, are you willing to give an extra $25,000 to fund this, and are you going to kick in money for that? And right. I've, I've been in meetings... I was in a in a meeting where um, a select person basically had haggled with one of the applicants, got the applicant to agree to write a check, and that became the winning applicant because they were willing to write a check when nobody else was willing to to go beyond what we what the various teams believed the law allowed. So again, go back to that first question. You're you're hit with so many fees and so many limitations and so many checks you have to write beyond operational cultivation and distribution. Are people in the retail business are they going to be around in ten years? We'll see where the market goes. Right. This is there, there has never been a business like this in the history of the United States. And what I mean by that, it's not. It, it, this is the only business that has ever been around where it is illegal at the federal level, but the states are doing it anyway, and there have been umbrellas created at the federal level that create safe harbors for these businesses. I mean, true legal safe harbors. I've talked to people who say, the, oh, the feds can never turn back. They can't do anything because too many states are doing it now. The president could, on a dime, say, shut them all down. And every recreational marijuana operator across the U.S. would be shut down. It's probably not politically wise to do so, but they couldn't shut down the medical operators. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about a politician in D.C. who's politically wise in the White House? Yeah. And by the way, he's a loose cannon. We'd, we'd never know what, what mood he's going to be in or what he's going to say. So that's kind of scary. But having William Barr as the new attorney general is a... For the cannabis industry, they believe that this is a good thing and certainly an improvement over Jeff Sessions. Anything is an improvement over the prior attorney general. But let's steer away from the the political side of it. I hate it. Let's stick to business, right? right? Because you're a numbers guy. Right. Well, I'm a numbers guy and I do a lot of reading. I probably spend, Jimmy, like I'd say 90 minutes a day at least reading news feeds, Google feeds, online magazines. I'm constantly reading about what's going on in the marijuana sector. And then I dive into numbers when I see something that's interesting to do my own research. That's great. And isn't it amazing the different elements to the historic launch of a business like this? I mean, I'm fascinated. I, too, read all my little newsletters, and and I'm just amazed at not just the news that you're getting out of Massachusetts or the United States, but in Europe now and in all over the world, they're starting to move towards at least recognizing the medicinal qualities of this plant. Oh, I think that's that that ship has sailed. I think worldwide people have recognized it medicinally. Now they're coming around to recognize that the war on drugs. Richard Branson said it best several years ago. The war on, we have lost the war on drugs. And I know people who have lost children on the war on drugs. And uh it's not doing anybody any good. I mean, from a, a numbers point of view, um, if you enjoy the, reading like the book Freakonomics, mm-hmm. they, one of the, the author analyzed wh- how come 
he did a, an analysis on drug dealers, and he came to the conclusion that most drug dealers earn less than minimum wage, which is why a lot of them still live at home with their parents. <laughs> it's a fascinating piece, and if you like those kind of that kind of reading, I suggest Freakonomics to anybody. You can get it for probably five used book for five dollars on Amazon or eBay, and it's a great book. He said it's just like professional sports. Most people don't make a lot of money, but right. the few that get to the top make right. a killing, right. and that's what everybody looks at and, and, and aspires to. The people in the drug, the illicit drug business, don't pay payroll taxes. They don't pay income taxes. They don't pay benefits. The money doesn't go into banks. It leaves the country, and then it leaves the expense that's left behind, the carnage, for the society to bear. You look at what Massachusetts has done. We have all in for the state a 17% tax structure with an, an additional 3% overlay for the local community. But that 17% gives the state money to deal with any problems that come out of this. They can now regulate it. They can make sure it gets tested. You know, It's now, as I said before, if you want pot and you go to a pot store, you know that it's been tested, you know that it's, you know it's safe, you know what the quality is. You know where it was grown, great. you know where the seed came from, the whole nine right. yards. And now instead of the problem of people who are having a substance abuse issue falling onto society with no assistance at all, now what you have is at least there's money coming into the state to offset this. And it's a lot better to get this up into the light than it is to keep it under the table in the dark. You made a point about your analysis with the Colorado market state to state. The positives that have come out of the cannabis market and industry in Colorado, you see them in new schools, new roads, and all that kind of infrastructure improvements. Uh, does that get covered the same way as a cannabis store that may have made a, a human error on tracking a, a, an item or not? Because I'm well, trying to, I always look for the positive side of things and look at uh, the idea of raising tax money off cannabis is the basis of moving it forward so that the local communities can get something out of it. The, the local communities get something out of it. Hopefully they have a responsible operator. What the Cannabis Control Commission did is the right thing. They're coming down hard on people who are not complying with the law and who are thinking that, ah, the regulations, it's 73 pages of gobbledygook. Once I get my license, I don't have to worry about it. Well, now th th what happened in Acton is great because they listed out and every cannabis meteor outlet picked up on it and has republished re, uh, what that list is of all the issues they found. Right. Anybody who's in Massachusetts who hasn't read that list to say, I got to make sure I'm dealing with all these compliance issues. I can't have employees with a refrigerator putting their stuff in the same refrigerator where we store inventory. I can't allow employees to prop open a door and just leave it like that. You have to take security seriously. And when you read the list, there was nothing major going on. This wasn't like somebody had taken a whole bunch of good pot and left it in a box out back and a bunch of kids had taken it down to, to uh, a baseball field and right. were playing around with it. Yeah. This was stupidity within the facility. Right. Easily fixed. They needed a slap on the head. They got it. I'm sure they're going to cure it, and I would expect the commission will allow them to reopen. Yeah, because I think the commission's job is to set the rules, set the parameters, and and be very firm about them. I, you know, I have a friend who operates Alternative Compassion Services down in Bridgewater, and yes, he'll be part of the News Dab's little video that I'll be producing later about this story. And 
whenever I go to his dispensary, it is it is locked up tight. It is you have to have a pass just to go from room to room. Uh, Stephen Werther, who's the the principal there, talks about all the surprise inspections. They have no warning. They come in and they have to get inspected on a regular basis. He knows that the regulations are there, and he is adamant about maintaining them because he recognizes that he's dealing with a medicine and they take responsibility for how that is both distributed, grown, and talked about at their facility. Um, I don't know what happened in Acton other than what was reported in Acton, but they uh, had a real issue, I believe, in just uh, destroying the stuff that they weren't going to use. That was it was the, it was the lack of um, care, human care in disposing of the inert product that they were told that they had to do, and they just they cut corners. You can't do that. Right. You're going to get caught, right? Right. Um, where, where do you think the, um, the best investment, if you're someone out there who has, uh, I'm just going to throw $25,000, and you know how it is with investments, you, can only, you should only invest what you can afford to lose. So let's just say a $25,000 investment. Would you recommend going on to the public side and perhaps um, and investing in, in Tilray or any of the uh, publicly traded companies out there that are tied to the Canada market? Or would you look to invest perhaps in a local dispensary or a grow farm in your neck of the woods? Where, where would, where would there be the yeah. best investment? Or can you even tell me that? Yeah, I, I'm not going to venture into what would be the best. Yep. I can venture into where I would go. Okay. I, I think a lot of the publicly traded stocks mm -hmm. are way inflated right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that inflation started back in August. Mm -hmm. I started, I was trying to get it set for today. I didn't have enough time, Jimmy, and I apologize. But a couple of years ago, I put together a list of marijuana stocks. And w at least once a year, I try to update what the values are so I can see what are the annual returns and what are the returns over the lifetime. And I know that come, come this past August, when a large investment was made in a company that had $80 million of revenue or so, and it was valuing the company at $10 billion, Whoa. right? The market took off, and all of a sudden, everybody wanted to pile into marijuana stocks. Prior to that, my, my, uh, um, I, I invested in a few, um, or rather helped a friend invest in a few, and, and one of the things we would look at, this is going to sound silly, but I'd watch news releases for companies that were announcing they were going to be switching from the Canadian Stock Exchange to the NASDAQ, or to a New York exchange, and my ad, my advice was buy that stock and hold it for about ten days and sell it because as soon as they get onto the Nasdaq or one of the the U.S. boards, the price always comes pops up a bit. You take the pop and you run. I mean, they, this is a highly speculative market. Right. The, the the valuations are not based upon today's earnings. It's not based upon what they have today. It's, when you have a company with eighty million dollars of revenue. And somebody says it's worth ten billion. I mean, that kind of boggles the mind, doesn't right. it? That's that's a bigger premium than Amazon, right? right? And isn't that um, basically you're dealing in almost in the futures? You're you're dealing in the future projection of the price and the the amount of business that that product will produce, right? And now you're talking. Let's say you're talking internationally. I told you we're second, third, maybe we're in around Massachusetts, maybe even the fourth inning, though maybe not quite that far. If you're going to look at it internationally, we got to be in the second inning. So the big players in Canada today may not be the big players next year. 
right? As other markets, as soon as as soon as the federal government decides to resolve this, which I hope they don't, frankly. But we'll once get into they, that in a minute. yeah, once they do, you're going to see a lot of major players come together in the United States that could dwarf these players that are in Canada. What people look at as being the big players in the market now are going to be fleas compared to the other players that are going to come in. In the Weeds is a podcast for the Cannabis Multimedia Network for the enjoyment and education of our audience. It is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and a video record is available on the WeedTube and on the Cannabis Multimedia Network. Any medical advice is not a reflection of the management of CLNS Media or Cannabis Multimedia Network.